1: free way to get started this got a content creation tool allows you to record it at the podcast right from a phone that's right don't even need a computer but you can do it there too they'll also help you distribute it which is probably the most challenging part you don't want to have to mess with that they got you covered you can get it right on a spotify and apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found and you know what you can monetize it too Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen.
2: I'm Pat Nevin. This is Ali Riley.
1: Hi,
3: this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast
0: Welcome back Chelsea fans to another episode of the London is Blue podcast your home for all things Chelsea FC Dan, Mike, Nick and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches we cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews thank you already for being an awesome listener and you know what? Let's
1: jump right in Hey, Chelsea fans, Just a quick programming note. Dan here, wanted to let you know that we actually went a little long and recorded this episode with guests Joe Tweeds and Sebastian Chapuis. We broke it up into two for you, so it's a little bit more digestible. Anyway, enjoy the first part now. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another preseason episode of the London is Blue podcast. No Brandon this weekend. He's lost in the mountains of, I don't know, the north somewhere. We might find it. But we do have Nick. We do have Mike, two stalwarts. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you both doing? Hola, amigos. I'm doing good. Well, I am am capable,
4: Dan, of saying caballero.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's important, an important skill set. And, you know, I think because we want to go a little deeper into what's going on with preseason, the tactics we're seeing with Lampard, we. You thought we would broaden the audience here. You know, when is away, really, the London is Blue podcast will definitely play. Uh, and we did so, one, with a returning guest in Joe Tweeds. Joe, welcome back.
2: Hey, guys. How's it going?
1: Uh, we are all doing well. We're glad to have you. And then we also brought, uh, you know, every Sarista's favorite Twitter follower um, <laughs> in Seb or Sebastian to join us. Uh, welcome to the podcast for the first time. Hi,
5: guys. I'm good. Thank you for for the invitation. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, we are definitely glad to have you, and uh, we can't wait to dig into some of those insights that you've been sharing on on Twitter and on, on the matches uh, so far. But before that, we'll get into a couple quick things. We do have two new iTunes reviews, one from a username that... Somehow made it past the quality filter from Apple that we won't read (laughs) from Australia. Said he was a latecomer to this fantastic podcast about Chelsea, but I'm loving it. As an Englishman now living in Australia, it's great to keep up with the news and opinions with people as passionate at the club as I am. And then we also had one from JerBear8989, also one of our Patreon members from Canada. Love the show. The insight is great and engaging. The show has a great flow, and it's all Chelsea. Must listen to those who have not listened yet. Keep up the great work and go Chelsea, go Jerry! So uh, some uh, nice iTunes reviews there, Nick. Yes, we somehow keep getting
4: these uh, after all this time, which is is really great. Uh, we're really happy that you know we've we've crossed this like five hundred five star iTunes review threshold. Dan, it's it's pretty incredible for us, and it just helps us get seen. Um, on all of these, you know, on on Apple Podcasts and and when you search for for Chelsea Podcasts.
1: So the more that we get of these, the better off we'll be ranked, and it's all good for us, right? It is the best for us. And then the other thing is, uh, no new Patreon members this week, but you can join us there. The conversation is kicking off on Discord, one of the Roar tiers that we have. And not only does that allow us to kind of have some more funds to put together this great podcast, but allows us to kind of have that wonderful community put together, Mike, and... There's a lot of chatter during the matches, which is always a good fun time to be had.
3: Yeah, and you know it's not just about the matches too. This is you know your place to be for all things Chelsea throughout the week, and you know be it matches, players, transfers, you know, or just off-topic things. It's you know it's like being at the pub with my group, uh, but all week long. So. Uh, the place to be
1: all right and before we get into the full match review the last thing we want to talk about that i know nick is super excited about we're all excited about is the contest we are running with talisman talisman caps based out of minneapolis or st paul minnesota and why don't you give us a little rundown nick correct
4: um uh, so this has been live since uh since thursday so a few days now on our instagram and on our twitter it's really simple they're doing a great giveaway they produce this like you know, and and Tweeds actually uh, hit us up on, on WhatsApp. Um, they produce some really quality uh, caps, and they also have a really great polo. Um, so it's, it's really great stuff, and, uh, and they're partnered with us. So we're doing a little giveaway. Uh, you get the option of, of picking one of three caps if you win. Uh, they have some really good stuff there, a polo, and then one of their uh, support local shirts. All you have to do to enter this thing is uh, either on Twitter or Instagram, whichever your favorite platform is, Tag three friends, follow us, follow Talisman uh, at Talisman Caps, and then comment, um, you know, on the same stream uh, about which Chelsea or youth, uh, Chelsea youth product or Loney that you're excited about uh, seeing to play in, uh, in 2019, 2020. So we will discuss some of those options, Dan, uh, in this podcast. Some people are, are really psyched about the likes of perhaps a Billy Gilmore already um but that is that's kind of the gist so the rules are listed on our Instagram and on our Twitter um it, it is a US contest only so sorry to our international fans we will we'll be doing more with you as as the season progresses uh and then dan if if people can't wait to uh to receive a quality talisman product what could they do uh that we're we're also going to
1: help them out with well simple code london blue 10% off first order of $35 or more and yeah, you know, most of their hats are right about the thirty-five dollar range. So you're saving ten percent off. You know, really that uh, first hat that you buy, but maybe you want more. You know, they've got a lot of U.S. women's products as well, U.S. women's national team products, and you know, it's always good to buy things that are centered around championship winning teams. Correct. So uh, visit their website,
4: visit our Instagram and Twitter, and uh, and yeah, we're really excited to do this. We will be announcing the winner. Uh, sometime late late this week by the time you're listening.
1: Excellent. Well, good to get that out of the way. Now we will get into the match review. We will break it down with our wonderful guests. But it was, again, St. Patrick's Athletic. It was at Richmond Park. It was on... July 13th, 2019, and the score ended 4 to nothing. Uh, a much better scoreline than the first preseason match. We had goals from Mason Mount in the 14th minute, Emerson in the 31st minute, and then Drew in the 67th and 88th minute, continuing that wonderful Europa League form that we all know and love him for. So, Mike, why don't you run us through the first half lineup, because this was another match where we saw the... Switching uh, half to half, giving each of the players a 45 minute run out. Sure. Um,
3: <clears throat> it, it would be a Willie Caballero, uh, two L's making is the. Is that how you say that? Is that
1: that, that how is you how you say, say it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Caballero. Caballero?
3: Yeah. Or you can call him Willie C if you're having trouble with the L's. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, on the, we had Zappa Costa, Tamori, and Louise as our center backs. Um, Emerson on the left. And then we had a, a diamond. Uh, with Jorginho, Mount, Kovacic, and Barkley, and then uh um, you know, a Frank Lampard special with Tammy and Batshway up top.
4: Do, do my do my eyes deceive me? Were there two strikers in this I, lineup? There were. Wow. Yeah. Shocking. Um, I didn't know that that was legal, Dan. Like that huh.
1: Only in only in FIFA, I believe. Uh, uh, well I mean here here's the real question. Joe, can you remember the last time you saw two strikers on the
2: pitch for Chelsea? Oof. Um this might have been under Conte once, Batshuayi and Costa at Watford, I want to say. Yes. But, um, I mean, regularly, Anelka, Drogba, maybe under Ancelotti, and, and probably before that, Crespo and Drogba as well. I mean, it's it's not been a a regular thing for Chelsea for, for definitely for some time. Maybe the odd one off um, under under Conte, but definitely not something that we've. We've seen uh, with any regularity over the course of a season for for years, it feels like.
5: Yeah, and and to be honest, uh, most of the time we played with two strikers. Uh, there was one shoved on the wing. Uh, Shevchenko used to play on the wing, Anelka as well, and we really we never really played with two up top. It was really uh, one up top and uh, one wide or in support striker, but uh, never too out and out like uh, like this time.
4: Yeah, that's a really good point, Seb. Uh, but even like the Torres days, like he would get pushed wide if Drogba was was playing up top. So I, I think you're you're dead on there.
1: So why don't we kind of break this down? Because I think the, the big talking point during the match and in the hours and days afterwards has been the midfield diamond. And if you haven't read the wonderful Twitter thread that Seb put together, on explaining the process about from build-up all the way through kind of the movement and the passing to create this formation. Uh, you know, Seb, why don't you run us through just maybe at like a high level, like what, what Frank is actually trying to do with the diamond that's different than what we've seen from a, a midfield at Chelsea for quite quite some time.
5: Yeah, but I think that the first priority was to, to build a team with a player at disposal. Um, considering that uh, our wingers are out, William is out, Hudson uh, uh, Odoi, of course. So it was uh, stuffed with uh, a lot of midfielders. So he had to build a lineup, and uh, it's typically all, all coaches are thinking about the diamond all the time. And because they, they, they feel they have too much midfielders and uh, not enough white players, so it's always um, a challenge to 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 make the step and actually fill the line the line. Up in, uh, in diamond, and uh, Lampard decided that uh, it was the best choice of the players at disposal. Um, in fact, it's when you don't have uh, real wingers, and uh, or you want to play two strikers up top, and you don't want to lose control in midfield. So you have four midfielders and two strikers, as opposed to when you play a four-four-two and you have only two or three center midfielders and uh, uh, wingers who are who tend to give the ball away and not. Defend as much as midfielders, so so I think the idea was to to play as much midfielders uh, as possible today because uh, there was a, a lot of uh, players available today in that game.
4: Were you surprised at all, sub, to see Barkley at the tip of the diamond instead of uh, Mason Mount? No, not
5: really, because uh, um, to be honest, um, maybe Mount is um, better positioned and um, maybe better tactically to. To move and to understand his role that uh, maybe Barkley was an impact player even if he starts games um, he tends to uh, show for the ball, try to do his thing, but he's not really someone to, to play the diamond. And going back to the time we used to play diamond under Ancelotti uh, it was a challenge for players like Essien or um, anyone who was not uh, Lampard or Balak uh, struggled to play the, the, the diamond Um, I remember FCN losing position a lot of times and uh, Balak was tactically uh, able to to switch between roles because it's really demanding in terms of uh, running uh, for the side midfielders, so Kovacic and Mount so they can run a lot but uh, uh, they need to understand where to run uh, who to close down and uh, um, because if you're not um, good enough tactically uh, it's uh, it's a nightmare for the the whole team because uh, the, the, the wing is He's exposed all the time, so maybe it was uh, the choice to have the the more disciplined player in mount in midfield and uh, uh, Barclay close to the striker because he can sometimes he can hit the target with a with a shot. <laughs> That's
1: a uh, a very fair point there as well, and yeah. You know, so I think, Mike, what were you? What did you like that you were seeing? When we were kind of playing this formation, was there anything that you you appreciated that you were seeing in the way that, again, I think I said was talking about Lampard tried to take advantage of the resources we had, which is a bunch of midfielders and not a lot of wingers in this match?
3: Yeah, I, <clears throat> I I appreciated it. Uh, I think this is a very you know, as as said, it's a tough situation to be in. And I think also we're what we're doing is we're watching uh, lamps try and figure out um, who can make the cut. I feel like this is one giant uh, version of hard knocks. And, um, you know, I think he's being pretty fair and allowing some of these young guys to get on the field to see if he can make something work and he can elevate them to the first team this season. And also just trying to make sure that, you know, everyone's getting a fair shake. And, and I love that we're trying out multiple different scenarios instead of just trying to, to hammer down the same thing over and over again, which might not work. So from a, a flexibility perspective, and the ability to change, and also realize that you know different people are going to play different things. I'm I'm so excited, and you know, with Seb's comment about the lack of wingers, it just makes the arrival of a certain American just. Oh, right, I'm just cannot <laughs> wait. So, well,
4: Nick, yeah, well, I, I think I'm going to pass this to Joe, but I think the the comments that were made after the game, Joe, were that Frank was looking for he was looking for players who are a little bit more tactically flexible, right? Um so depending either on availability or uh based on, you know, key matchups, you know, against uh, an opponent like Manchester United maybe, uh it's important that, you know, his midfield can do more than just play in a 4-3-3 and that's it, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that what said said there was 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 very important for people to understand is that last season we saw a, a manager trying to sort of fit a, a style of play or, or necessarily try and force a, a system on players that it didn't always kind of fit at times. And what we've seen already with Lampard, particularly with a, with a diamond midfield is Lampard's acknowledgement that Chelsea are probably at the moment in terms of quality of players and and let's say, you know, in terms of age and, and capability of pressing and running and all sort of the components that that are required to to play a sort of high octane style of football. He's shown that he's, there's a willingness to to adapt to to what's available. Um, I think in terms of the the diamond midfield, we won't necessarily see it all the time. Um, you know, it's a it's a system that that works if the let's say the opposing team's fullbacks aren't that great. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting us to play Liverpool and, and let you know Trent Alexander Arnold um, sort of maraud down the right hand side because you know obviously with with wingers and, and with a with a midfield three, you've got more capability to to cover um, sort of wide areas of the pitch. But I think it's it's shown, you know, a, a willingness to adapt to what's there. And I think Lampard, um, particularly with, with Morris and Edwards, who have been used to coaching incredibly sort of tactically flexible players as part of the academy and what we saw at Derby with them sort of going through kind of, you know, cycling through several several styles, several systems, you know, several kind of ways of playing until they sort of come on to a, a formula that allowed them to sort of make that, that little surge to the, to the playoff final. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to see this season, just how much adaptations we do from week to week. I think there'll be a, a general way of playing against, uh, like, quote-unquote, lesser sides. I think that there'll they'll sort of be a, a kind of emphasis on this sort of quick uh, sort of combination play and and a lot more, I don't want to use the word directors in as in sort of, you know, back-to-front sort of long balls, but, but players being more incisive and being more aggressive with with their sort of attacking play. And Then I think we'll see a slightly different style of play, maybe more counter-attacking, a little bit more reactive when we play sort of the cities and and liverpools of this world. And I think that probably from last season, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. Is yes, it would be great if we could uh, go toe to toe with with city and liverpool, but I'm I'm not entirely sure we have the score to do so yet. But so I'm fairly confident actually when we come to these games, when we see Lampard, Maurice Evers, etc., kind of scheming and putting together a game plan. That will actually look to, you to kind of target their weaknesses and, and hit them on the counter. So, yeah, flexibility is going to be key. I think that that's, that's sort of why you've seen sort of Mason Mount play kind of these sort of Carrello or, or Shuttler kind of positions on the side of a diamond. Also, he can play the number 10 role, but it's going to be uh, an interesting to see sort of how, uh, how things kind of piece together, particularly with Ngolo Kante coming back into the fray, because I think he gives Lampard uh, an inordinate amount of, of flexibility going forward, just where he can play him in terms of his position either in a sort of double pivot in midfield or, or always kind of a destroyer um, ball recover in, in midfield as well. So, yeah, I think it is exciting, definitely, uh, um, after the, the the two games we've seen in Ireland.
1: I think that's a good question or kind of thought process there, just on, on the topic of N'Golo Kante. So, you know, Seb, how do you see, you know, obviously Frank at the press conference laughed when he said he knew exactly how he was going to play Engolo uh, Kante, but he wasn't going to tell anybody. Where where do you see him lining up, and how do you see Lampard taking advantage of him in the uh, in the coming season? Yeah, okay.
5: Uh, so I think it's a it's a perfect midfielder for for midfield two because um, when you play four two three one uh, today, uh, it allows you to play one more player in attack, um, often a, a winger or an attacking midfielder. And um, the thing with uh, base midfield players is that nowadays uh, everyone has played. Against him playing like that, so it's easy to figure out to isolate players. So he's much more than a, just a player sitting in front of the defense. So um, I think he Lampard's know he is going to play him in a uh, in a midfield, too. Um, I think he he loved in press conference because uh, I think he knew uh, he would be asked a question to that would be and. Interpreted as digs as sorry, but it's not the case. Um, he said he's going to adapt uh, to use Kante in his best position, and I think deep inside he knows uh, every answer is going to give uh, is going to be interpreted as a as a slack dig to to, to sorry. And uh, but I think uh, we're going to see Kante in midfield too. Um, maybe sometimes on the side of a uh, midfield three diamond or 4-3-3, but uh, I don't think we're going we're going to, to see him in uh, at the base of. The midfield three,
4: I don't think is that due to his passing range do you think
5: yeah yeah I think he's, he's able to, to cover a lot of uh, ground uh, usually uh, um, when you go back to why teams are, have played players behind the striker or at the base of midfield it's because they can't run like they did before or they can't run at all and um, it's a way to to have uh, players behind them, behind them or ahead of them able to bring the ball forward so Usually, you play very good passers at the base of midfield or uh, uh, support strikers behind the strikers, but you can't uh, can't run or can't uh, can't defend as much as midfielders. So, um, I think is is a, a really modern midfielder. Um, there's more and more players abroad like that um, because most of the time they play a lot of football um, besides clubs, and um, they only go to clubs at uh, 13, 15. And um, they fit into into teams, but uh, um, they are playing much more football than uh, just at clubs. So uh, there's a lot of players uh, brought uh, to, to 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 play that modern midfield role, and uh, not being uh, uh, forced to play one position at uh, at one age and uh, uh, never go out of that position.
1: Yeah, it makes a, a lot of sense. It's super helpful to think. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't think that everything that Frank says is a slight again, sorry, where people want to make this narrative that hey, yeah. every positive yeah. thing he's doing is something that is against him. I think he's just looking to set yeah. up the side as best as he possibly can and try to uh, go out and win yeah, yeah. football matches. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
1: So, you know, I think another thing that we saw, we haven't talked, we've talked a lot about the midfields in the first half, but I think we also saw a little bit of the defenders and that their work they're doing. And I know that you had a piece to come out just the uh, just today on we ain't got no history as well, yeah. Seb, going through the defenders and what we would expect to see from them with Lampard. What were you seeing maybe in like Luis and Tomori in the way that they were playing together in the first half?
5: It was it was good. I think um, I don't think uh, Lampard was strict in terms of uh, instructions. Um, I think it uh, didn't uh, put boundaries such as uh, never play a long ball or always play short or whatever. Um, They've been able to play a long pass over the top or uh, drive with the ball, and um, you you see when managers give freedom to players, it's when when they go beyond the midfield line and uh, they don't feel the need to give the ball quickly to the nearest player uh, that usually means that uh, the manager is not uh, uh, too strict on uh, uh, never never lose position, never give the ball away. So there's been times where uh, Tomori has uh, been on the ball and uh, hasn't been closed down, so kept running at the. Uh, uh, at, uh, at players, so that's interesting. And um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, maybe we are going to see defenders going further than they did in Sarri, but it's good as long as they, they can find solutions and uh, they don't do that all the time. But variety uh, is always good for, for defenders because uh, it's easy to implement a pressing to block um, the two or three circuits to play out. And uh, the more options there is, uh, the better. And uh, David Luiz is really really good in that aspect because uh, they can play short, long, uh, the blind pass, the, the diagonal, the, every type of pass he can play. So um, as long as the players are moving correctly ahead of them, uh, it's, it's good. It's not it's not limiting to – it's good to have players, uh, especially at the back, uh, trying all, all sorts of things to, to play the ball
4: out. Well, and, and Joe, I, I actually on the coverage, there was an interesting point, and I kind of want to get your perspective on this, uh, that Tomori – uh, was typically played as like a left central defender last year instead of you know where he was played on the right with Louise. and the um, the coverage said that that was due to um, you know the personnel at Derby and and his uh, flexibility essentially to play either one of those roles, but that he was more comfortable on the right. Uh, did you get that sense, and did you see you know some really good interchange between him and Louise?
2: Yeah, and and going back to some of the academy sort of days with with Tomori, I mean he's very comfortable as playing as a right back as well, and it's it's no surprise really that he can slot in at, at both centre back positions. I think you know as as players mature, they tend to sort of stick to to one side of the pitch. Obviously, John Terry very famously was a left sided central defender, and, and anyone who paired with him had to play on the right. I think probably on the on the right hand side. Most likely benefits uh, Tomori more. I think he's a little bit more comfortable receiving the ball. It's easier for him to open up his body and and play passes to either the fullback or to midfielders. Um, I, I just think that he, you know, probably in, in a later piece or in the, one of the later segments we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail. But he he reminds me so much of, of William Gallas when he came to to Chelsea. Sort of similar athletic profile, sort of similar kind of skill set on the ball. And I think you know, given his age and, and given sort of how Centre backs today. I mean, you know, there are a couple of exceptions, but mostly sort of tend to mature in their sort of mid to, uh, mid to late twenties. That his his kind of ceiling is is incredibly high when you think about sort of the the improvements that he can make both from a from a technical perspective on the ball, but also just as a you know an experience perspective from playing the sort of central defensive role. And and having Luis as kind of his you know kind of mentor, I think is is a good thing as well. I and mean, I think obviously the the main thing that, that Tomori provides for Louise is just, you know, he has exceptional recovery pace. He he might be the quickest player in, in the Chelsea squad now that he's come back. So it kind of gives Louise a little bit more freedom to be a bit more aggressive in terms of when he's pressing on the centre-forwards or when he's sort of looking to to be the aggressor in, in the, the kind of relationship. But I think probably the, the last thing on this is that it's very interesting that I think Louise is is partnering Tomori at the moment. It might be because obviously Rudiger's out and, and Tomori maybe has the... Most similar kind of profile in terms of skill set, comparable to Rudiger. So, but it's very interesting that he's uh, he's being played with Louise because I, I think that, that that might be the the partnership that starts the first game of the season. Um, obviously, Lampard and I'm also very familiar with Tomori from last season. Joe Roberts has also coached Tomori, uh, you know, sort of across the uh, academy age groups that they've they've been sort of part of as well. So, it wouldn't surprise me if, if this is sort of the the partnership that we're seeing going forward. And it just means also as well that you know even with Let's say if, if Aspilicueta starts at right back and his, his pace is declining a little bit, having Tamori there is also a bit of a comfort blanket for him as well. Yeah, so,
5: yeah. Going back to what uh, what just said, usually when, um, especially in pre season, managers tend to put the more experienced uh, central defender on the left, um, and if if they have two right footed, uh, they're going to play the, the best one, the more experienced one, on the left, and to have the younger, the rookie on the on the right. And it was the same earlier, and uh, we had the. Uh, Zuma on the left uh, against Bohemians and um, and to Maria on the right, I think, uh, so so that the, the youngest player on the on his right foot to, to receive it so it's easier. So yeah, it it depends also on the the amount of ball playing uh, Lampard expects. And so uh, um, if you have someone like Mourinho, uh, he's not going to ask a lot of things from his central defender. So it's uh, not going to be very important if the the left and right are on the right foot or correct foot to, or, the, or on the strong foot to, to play forward because they're just going to play the ball to the midfielders and that all. And uh, when you expect them to drive with the ball, uh, it's better if they, if they are really at ease with that. And uh, maybe David Lewis is more at ease to play on the left and on the right uh, because he can find angles and drive uh, forward with the ball. Uh, but yeah, most of the time it's about experience and uh, put the more, more experienced one on the, on the left.
3: Yeah, so not to linger on uh, centre-backs too long, but as the resident centre-back on the pod, um, so Joe and Seb, what I'm curious is, uh, if you are not looking at current injuries, who is your best centre-back pairing uh, for Frank this
2: season? um, So I'll I'll caveat this by by saying one thing. I mean, I I appreciate sort of the, the modern trend in football to have centre-backs who are capable of bringing the ball out, capable of, of of playing decent passes however what I will say is that looking at last season I think Chelsea don't really have the luxury of, of being able to pick one of those players at the moment I think we were susceptible to crosses I, I don't think necessarily that that maybe maybe due to the sort of structure that Sarri put in place that the two centre-backs were left exposed on on counter-attacks etc so I would probably go with uh a little bit more of a a safe pairing. Um, Zuma for me probably starts. I think um, you know I, I I don't really care so much that if he looks a bit awkward in possession and and maybe that isn't the most aesthetically pleasing centre half. I think historically at least for Chelsea he's always had the best performances against uh, against people like Sergio Aguero and Harry Kane and sort of the top centre forwards. I think Zuma has always performed the best at, kind of individually against them. And then I probably would pair him with with David Luiz. Um, I'm not. I'm not super high on on Rudiger compared to other people. I think Zuma is a better, just a better pure defender. Um, I think he's a little bit stronger as well, and uh, and I would pair him with, with uh, Louise at least for the first part of the of the season. That would be my preferred pairing.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: I agree. That
1: was that was that easy to get consensus. I mean, that's a, maybe a first time on a, the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I think the the last thing maybe we would want to talk about in the first half is uh, I know that you. One of my favorite tweets of the bunch was your commentary on some of the set pieces that we saw <laughs> and yeah. you know how we we don't have a multitude of different corner routines at this moment and we have balls that actually make it past the first man which is you know going to be a really interesting trend for people to observe this season. <laughs> um <laughs> so you know maybe could you break it down like what do you think frank is kind of asking of our players in terms of the set piece execution uh, and the kind of the corner kicks that we saw i mean not a ton this match there are only six of them in total but we did get a chance to maybe start to understand what that narrative is going to look like when we actually have those opportunities in a match
5: yeah yeah so uh, i've worked a lot on uh, in my job uh to break down corner kicks so so, so I've, I've been that I've been doing that a lot uh, this season. But uh, no, the first priority is to have a, a good corner ticker. So it's uh, it's a priority. If you don't have a taker, it's it's not even worth um, going beyond. Who gets in the box? Who gets behind? Because the corner never comes. So um, that's why it was always a surprise to see uh, Fabregas featuring so little last season because he was a, a good a good corner ticker. So. Um, you can't expect miracles if players are not good to to put a good cross in. Uh, it's not. There's no point having a, a three corner routines, let alone 39, to, if the ball can't be the first one. So, so he yeah, amount was a, a, a positive point in that regard because um, he has been able to to take really good corners. And after that, it's uh, it's quite simple because you have. A, a, um, you have players who are going to flick the ball at the near post. Uh, David Luiz has been doing that for for PSG, for Brazil uh, as well. Um, And after that, you need to clear the the, the center of the the goal, uh, which is usually the the zone, the goalkeeper is going to reach out to claim the cross. So sometimes you're going to get the ball first, sometimes you're going to clutter the the goalkeeper. Um, That happens. And uh, when you have a lot of uh, big guys at the... At uh, the near post, it's good to have players to tap in at the far post, the um, the flick, and um, it's good to see that uh, there's been a player um, um, on the goalkeeper to try to to. Maybe it was a friendly game, so maybe Batshuayi wasn't uh, actually fooling the goalkeeper. But, but uh, in the league, we can expect uh, someone like Diego Costa used to in the past uh, stay in front of the goalkeeper and make sure he can't go out and claim the cross. Um, consider. Fall one um, when, when every two games, but uh, now it's good to have a, a lot of players uh, flicking the ball at the near post, uh, players attacking the center, and uh, back the space to, to have players tapping the ball at the far post. Because uh, when you Joe was speaking about uh, Galas the other day, but Galas always had uh, three, four goals per season, Matic as well. And when you add up, uh, it's always good to have defenders who have uh, uh, one, two, three assists. Terry used to have uh, two or three. Assists. Assist because you flick the ball a lot, and uh, you just have to tap in the ball at the far post. It's an extra goals so you can get maybe four, five, six extra goals every season with with that uh, having players back post. So uh, when you think we have we had the the sixty three goals I think this season, it's, uh, the second or third was tally. Um, it's always good to consider options to get uh, maybe three, four, five goals more. Uh, it's better again. Uh, against certain teams when you can't score in, the, in open play, it's good to have them uh, um, having good strategies to, to attack space in the box and, uh, and try to score.
4: So so what I'm hearing, Seb, is that it's it's better to beat the first man on the corner, so that's good. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so, hey, Joe, one of, one of the final things in the first half that I wanted to touch on that I was um, impressed by, I think, was the interchange, you know, if not the final product between Tammy and and Batshuayi. and you know, my my kind of take on this is that Batsui looked very hungry to this point. This is the you know kind of uh, reinvigoration of his you know potentially his Chelsea career, and then this is the first that we're really seeing seeing of Tammy to this point. So just wanted to get your thoughts on on what you saw between them from the uh, uh, from the first half.
5: Yeah, so so is a... The- Uh, He's had a a peculiar career so far because um, he always was a second fiddle to to a centre-forward and uh, his big breakthrough season at uh, at Marseille, he was the only senior striker in the team. Um, Steven Fletcher joined at uh, midway through the season, but uh, um, either he was second fiddle because the managers didn't trust him uh, to play up top, uh, several managers, uh, because he doesn't offer enough... In open play, but one thing it for sure is um, when the ball is in the box is um, always the right finish, always the right positioning, and so so is um, is di- dynamic because it's 25 and um, maybe I, that that's the thing I didn't want to to put too much focus on because uh, I know it's a preseason game and uh, he's trying to get a place in the in the starting lineup. So, but you, you can see in um, in his involvement involvement sorry that is uh, a poacher. So he, he's considering uh, shooting at goal or passing the ball for someone to cross, but he's not going to set up other uh, a lot. And, uh, but that's his mindset. Um, he's a type of striker only focused on, uh, on scoring goals. So that's good to have, uh, to have someone like that. And Abraham, uh, I think it's good because uh, he's young and um, probably when he's going, not now, but when he's going to, to go near 25, 30s, he's going to be more immobile. Uh, when he's young, he's, he's able to run a lot down the channels, um, running behind as well. Um, he's, he's trying his change, his, his change, and uh, he's trying a lot of things, so he can do a lot of things, uh, as for now. He can um, run down the side, he can uh, ask in behind, uh, because he's dynamic. But maybe if he gets stronger, maybe he's, he's going to lose a bit of mobility and uh, become a real target target man. But it was good to see yeah, the, the interchange uh, it does not require a lot of um, understanding. It's just uh, about um, trying to see what the other is doing, and uh, if the one comes short, I'm going to ask in behind. If uh, if the other is asking in behind, maybe I can show up short for the ball. So it's good to see um, two players who are going to to compete and um, already showing that they are hungry to to score and um, moving in relation to one another.
3: Yeah, there, there was a. There was a quick moment where Tammy had done a ton of work in the box, and <clears throat> he could have easily slotted it to Batchwaye for pretty easy. Um, but he took it himself. And again, I think um, what I'm hoping to see under Frank is a lot of competition and young guys pushing young guys. You know, Mason and, and Christian pushing each other and, and
1: elsewhere. But good All right, So we've overall. spent a lot of time talking about the first half, and I think the the second half, as uh, Nick and I were preparing the script today. Um, there was not a lot of thought around the, the second half being as exciting as the first half, but (laughs) there, there was, I think, a bright spot that we do want to talk about. And Joe has put together a pretty good piece on, uh, one Billy Gilmore and what he is offering to Frank and offering this side. So, uh, Joe, consider this your platform to espouse (laughs) the, the virtue and preach the gospel of, uh, Billy Gilmore, uh, (laughs) Scottish Messi.
2: I'm going with the Scottish silver but uh, yeah. I, I, I think he he's a very interesting prospect, to me Because you look at sort of Chelsea kind of playmakers in this mould. Historically, we, we've had lots of these sorts of players. We've had Joshua Mcetcrin, Charlie Colkit. You know, there have been sort of a number of these sort of diminutive players who have been able to play as a as a number six, as a holding player, as a as sort of a traditional number eight, and as a number ten. But I think Gil, um, Gilmore for me has. Has a bit of an edge on on all of them actually, you know, including McEachran as well. He his range of passing, his his vision, his ability to to receive the ball in tight areas, and, and it's kind of the willingness for an, for an 18 year old to want to take the ball in in sort of tight areas as well. The confidence that he has on the ball really gives a really gives the, the kind of ball away as well. He's just I think you know when you look at a lot of the players we have, we've got a lot of physical physical kind of players players who who are uh, maybe slightly more traditionally English, I think, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if, if Gilmore had, had come from sort of a, a kind of Barcelona-style school of, of football rather than, let's say, Glasgow Rangers, who are probably, you know, very kind of traditionally uh, British in terms of their sort of academy setup. So I think what he's, he's done on, on the tour for me is, is sort of take the opportunity that I think Lampard and Morris and Edwards, etc. have kind of offered to the younger players. And if, if you sort of do your part of the equation you will get opportunities in the first team. And I think in the second half, you know, he was playing with with Bakayoko and he, I think he was playing with uh, Palmer, Pedro, etc. He sort of looked like the seasoned player on the pitch. And I think that's something that you'll see, you know, the more that you watch him, he always looks um, sort of you know, more mature than those people he's playing with. And that, that's something that's followed him kind of through age group football. And, you know, I've, I wrote sort of in the article that he's, He's often spoke about his, you know, his kind of real sort of, you know, love of of Cesc Fabregas as a player. And I think actually, you know, sort of the more you watch him play, particularly when he receives the ball, the one thing that I, I do love about Fabregas is that his head is constantly on a swivel, even as the ball is coming and sort of to, to be received to him. And Gilmore sort of also has kind of adapted this this part of his game. He's kind of included it into what he does now. He's so aware of, of everything around him. He has this great ability sort of to create these sort of pictures of, of what's going on, you know, he plays these blind passes. He plays these, you know, first time balls. I think again, you know, the, the, the fact that he he's sort of got a lot of success playing deeper for Chelsea is is an interesting prospect because you know traditionally in the Premier League we're looking at midfielders becoming more physical, you know, six foot three, six foot two, you know, these sort of absolute tanks like Pogba and Loftus Cheek and sort of players of this sort of physicality. Whereas Gilmore is, is, is maybe slightly more of a, a Bernardo Silva, David Silva. I made sort of the comparisons to sort of a Javi and Iniesta, you know, not obviously in terms of skill set where he is at the moment, but just that that ability to sort of glide around midfield and, and create sort of space with his first touch and you know, his appreciation of the ball in terms of how he how he uses it, his passing ability, it's always to the right foot, it's always at the right speed, you know, he can switch play, he can he can ping passes, you know, he can float them, he he, he has this fantastic kind of reverse swing that he puts on the ball as well when he sort of strikes it. So I think that you know he's he's been a guy over the last eighteen months that I think has really really worked hard at his game. You know when you see his individual action plan that Chelsea gave him, the, the strides that he's made since coming, and you know he he did score against Arsenal's academy on his debut. From from that point until now, you know he he looks like he belongs in Chelsea's first team squad. Whether he whether he stays this season and plays under twenty three football or moves out on loan is 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 a question probably for later in the uh, in the podcast, but. He's, uh, you know, for me, certainly one of the, the more interesting prospects that we've got. And I think the thing that goes in his favour is that he's he's very much unlike what other sort of midfielders at Chelsea have. You know, this sort of capability of playing pretty much anywhere in midfield. Great range of passing and, and his passing adapts as as he kind of moves through the pitch. He can play those sort of nice through balls in sort of the final third. He can break the lines of his passing. You know, he's, he's just got such a, a lovely sort of style of play. I think if you were then to sort of encourage that and see how he develops over the next one or two years, I think Chelsea have got a very, very serious prospect on their hands. And I think the other thing to boot it, you know, as well, is that he's already playing under 21 football for Scotland as an international. Wouldn't it surprise me if he has a, you know, a really good loan spell that he becomes uh, part of the Scotland set up maybe over the next sort of year as well. But yeah, I think he's just a fantastic prospect. Another one of these players that hopefully now we've sort of got the potential pathway um with Lampard etc you know the into sort of the first team squad he for me is is one to keep an eye on because he's just a, a wonderfully balanced player and I think he can really add something to Chelsea's midfield within sort of the next 2 years
4: yeah i think one of the one of the you know things that we read about constantly and i you know probably is just developing into his overall narrative is his leadership ability um you know our friend Jake Cohen was talking about you know even coming through kind of the under 15s and under 19s and, you know, playing for, you know, Rangers and just exhibiting this, not only uh, confidence, confidence is one thing, but the ability to lead is, is a whole other thing when you're that young and, and relatively inexperienced, Joe. So uh, are you hearing the same types of things and, you know, yeah. around his abilities?
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of that plays into his his confidence as a player. I know he's sort of captain Scotland through the age groups as well. Um, and, and generally sort of the feedback that I hear at least from people around the club and people who work with him is that he, in terms of his attitude he he's, he's almost kind of the ideal sort of player that you want to work with you know, his, his attention to detail his ability to receive criticism and work on that is fantastic but as you say, I mean just generally and just in terms of his sort of you know, own kind of personal style you know, he, he's an incredible leader he speaks very well you know, I think that's also something which I think kind of suggests that, that he has a a football intelligence or football IQ that's you know better than the most 18 year old players and he's just turned 18 as well Listen to him on a on a few uh sort of BBC interviews and he did a, a show up in Scotland recently as well where he you know he speaks very intelligently about the game and you know I, I think that he would be one of those players that because he he always wants to accept responsibility on the pitch you know sometimes you see young players hide um, for the boy, if things are going badly for them. He's he's always there and always wants to receive the ball. And I think that that sort of leadership in terms of both performance and just his character and personality. You know, he's an on the pitch leader in terms of actions, but also I think in terms of just his his personality and his his nature as well. I think he leads by example. Um, and it's you know it, that that for me is is what separates him potentially from. Players like we've seen, like Charlie Colkett, who was a great passer, McKechnie, who also was a you know was a, was a very good passer with the ball and a, a nice sort of player to watch. I think Gilmer has a little bit more street smarts. I think he's got a little bit more edge to his game. He's got a little bit more of a spiky nature. Um, it might be because he's a that, You know, he's he's got that sort of Glasgow backbone in him that he you know he's a little bit more combative. He's a little bit more savvy. Um, and I think hopefully, you know, if, if he stays around the squad, you know, he could be a player that features in the League Cup or FA Cups and, and maybe sort of progresses towards more minutes towards the end of the season. But it wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility that he goes on loan to summer in the championship and, and becomes a real sort of talent uh, for for someone potentially, a, a hopefully, you know, like a top six team or a team aiming for the playoffs. But, you know, leadership qualities are things that I think a lot of players are born with. And I think will definitely in terms of the the way that he's sort of managed himself since he's been at Chelsea suggests that, you know, he's not just a great player, but that he's going to be one of these players that has the sort of character and, and the sort of nature that you associate with, with Chelsea players of the past. So that's also, you know, an incredible positive thing about him and his game.
3: You know, Joe and Sub, um, one of the things that has really been a hugely um, important kind of impact, uh, action that that frank took this season is the um kind of smashing that glass ceiling between the youth team and the senior team in both allowing them to practice together and um you know also eat together can you talk about kind of the impact of what this is both for the youth players being able to you know come up and and you know see these guys and practice with them but also kind of what the impact is towards the the senior players and making sure that we kind of get past the the malaise of like this past season where it felt like we were sleeping for the first 15 minutes of the game 20 minutes of the game or until yeah, goals yeah,
5: conceded yeah. so yeah it, it's not always um an easy question to tackle because uh, sometimes clubs decide that uh It's good to have young players work hard before they get into the first team. And uh, sometimes, especially in modern football, uh, you get younger players who who think they have done it all already because they're already training with the pros, they have a squad number, they have a a locker in the the first team dressing room. And um, it it didn't used to be uh, like that before. And uh, you you just... um, Managers would call into action a youngster for a training session or whatever, and... um, they wouldn't be used to to be uh, uh, part of the first team picture like they could be right now, as I said, with a squad number, uh, permanent uh, stay in the dressing room, etc. So, uh, but at the same time, it's uh, it's really hard for the, for a young player because um, fans really need to take into account that um, there's a lot of sacrifice uh, behind uh, being a uh, promising promising um, 18 years old. Or 19-year-old at, uh, at Chelsea, there's a lot of sacrifice. Uh, moving out, uh, training hard uh, four, five, six, seven times a week. So um, it's really fr- frustrating. Fr- frustrating, sorry, uh, for a player um, to not feel that uh, the door is open because uh, um, talent is uh, um, is good to to break the, the, the glass. But uh, sometimes opportunity is um, is very important in football because sometimes it's a matter of uh, how many players. Are playing in a position. Um, if you have a lot of uh, fullbacks, of young fullbacks, it's hard to, to get uh, um, a first team shot. Um, if there's a player injured, uh, of course um, we can remember um, Jeremy Boga um, two years ago. Maybe he wasn't going to be the next Eden Hazard, but uh, he was a promising player. he came through the academy at Chelsea, and uh, uh, for a conjuncture of um, reasons, he started the season against Burnley and. Um, because Cahill took a red, no, it was a Courtois, I don't remember, Uh, because of the red card, he was hooked uh, after 23 minutes, I think, and uh, never came into the the picture again. So sometimes uh, the opportunity is going to to show up once, and um, if players feel uh, the the opportunity isn't going to to occur at all, uh, it's frustrating, and you you can't blame young players uh, feeling that uh, they won't get considered into the team, and um, they are going to look for a pathway in the in the first team elsewhere. So um, it's good to open the door, uh, but at the same time, uh, there's consequence because sometimes uh, you, you you have players, uh, um, maybe like Kennedy, if you if you see he was brought into the first team, um, not even as an academy player, and uh, he has not on on and off the pitch because maybe it was uh, too too much too soon. So it's a, it's a difficult balance to find, but um, you can't expect as a club to have a prospect uh, staying out, uh, staying in, the, in your club if uh, if they don't see there's a, an opportunity. So, so it's good to open the door, and uh, it's about management to keep them uh, focused and uh, not drift off uh, from uh, from uh, from the the, the the main objective. So,
1: as we kind of wrap on the second half, and kind of thinking about the you know, players that did succeed or look successful, or any other. Uh, notes that people wanted to go through from second half. So we kind of talked about Gilmore and a chance to look into like you know what he represents for the academy and kind of this opportunity for players to make a transition from the first, uh, yeah, from you know playing for the youth to playing for the first team. Uh, but any other highlights or callouts from the second half that we maybe didn't touch on, uh, Seb? No, but
5: maybe the fact that. Uh We have had uh, four alpha football so far and uh, he's tried several things. And um, it was interesting to see uh, in instance that uh, the 4-2-3-1 we played in the first game wasn't quite the same uh, as the one we played in St. Patrick's. The movement wasn't the same. And um, football tactics, uh, it's not rocket science. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's just about managers asking specific things from players. Uh, Sometimes the fullbacks are going to to run up and down. Uh, Sometimes the midfielder are going to, to collect the ball short sometimes the midfielder are, are going to be asked to, to, to go forward and it was interesting to see that um, with the same base uh, system uh, the instructions were the same and uh, the movement weren't the same and maybe uh, it was a good opportunity to point out that uh, defensively uh, um, the pressing is going is already looking good um, in terms of organization um, if the, player are, the players are looking coordinated be- each other, but uh, they are going. They are really showing that they they are willing to run a lot, and um, there are no players who looks like is is uh, not doing uh, 100%. Uh, they are all good, trying to, to prove they, they can play in that team, and uh, especially behind the striker, maybe Palmer was a, a good uh, made a good impression behind the striker like uh, Gallagher, and um, they have been able to to get on the ball, uh, show for the ball, and uh, work hard of the ball so that's a promising spi- thing for, for, for Chelsea because uh, most of the time when you have uh, talented players um, th- you, you play them beyond the triker but you don't expect a lot of running or defending from them and it's a credit to, to the Chelsea academy to have uh, um, guys like Palmer or, or Gilmore being trusted to, to, to defend properly, being positioned properly and trigger, trigger a pressing run at the right moment so it's really uh, interesting to see that and uh, that are not young players, uh, as in you, you'd find uh, uh, players who, who can't run, who can't be disciplined to to to, to keep a structure. So it's promising. Promising.
4: Hey, Joe, I wanted to get your thoughts on on uh, a couple of guys who I, I've not been ultra impressed with uh, through the first two games: uh, Bakayoko and Zuma. Uh, I think both have looked a little shaky on the ball. Um, Bakayoko's lack of effort um, is a whole other thing, um, which is a little concerning. Um, but uh, you know, I know that you're big on Zuma, particularly. So, what am I? What am I missing, or what am I not seeing that uh, that maybe you're, you're you're higher on?
2: I think. I mean, I think Bakayoko. It's it's fair to say, and it's starting to sort of leak publicly yesterday as well. That there is, I think, a, a move agreed elsewhere with him, and I think his efforts have sort of reflected that there was a. Uh, a pass that he made during the second half, which it, it split about four Chelsea players and ended up going out for a throw-in. Um, you know, the, the, uh, he he may well be, you know, he may well be a, a decent player. I think he he looked good at Milan. He may well sort of rediscover his his form. But you know, I, I look back to sort of Lampard's comments about only wanting players who really wanted sort of to be here at Chelsea. And you know, for, I, don't, I don't think Bakayoko really has a desire to to be at Chelsea. So. You know, it's sort of the less said about him, the better. Really, he you know, he brings a physical presence and and, and all that sort of stuff. But you just sort of question his application. Um, I think with Zima, for me, it's it's a question of I think that he just I think he's unaesthetic when you look at him as a player. Um, you know, it's different to someone like David Luiz, who is sort of very sort of graceful in terms of his passing and how he receives the ball. And I think uh, Zuma at times looks quite looks quite staccato. He looks sort of very sort of maybe robotic sometimes when he's passing. But the I think the key for me will be, you know, if you look at sort of his his form at Everton last season, and and you know the, the fact that he's kind of worked his way back from this sort of very serious injury. As as a pure defender, and I'm looking at this purely from a defensive standpoint, comparing to last season. I trust him more in, in the air and I, I think we were very weak at dealing with, with crosses and set pieces last season. I think he, he doesn't immediately resolve that, but I think he, he brings a lot of quality to that area. Um, I think he's a better one-on-one defender, both in terms of how he defends in the penalty box, his willingness to block, his athleticism, his, his mobility from side to side, his ability to get a foot on something, a head, a shoulder, whatever it's going to be. Um, and I think also as well that he, he has an element of leadership that I don't think we've had maybe since John Terry's left the club in that Zuma is a very aggressive player when sort of things kick off between players. You know, he's always the first person over, particularly for Everton last season. You know, Zuma was, was always the first guy over. And, and, you know, I think that we've... I'm not going to say that Chelsea have become a, a bit soft, but, you know, it's it's having someone in the team who you know is willing to... To sort of step up when sort of required when when it does get physical in some of these big games, you know, I look at the sort of impact that Van Dijk had at Liverpool, his physicality, his his aggression, his leadership, what that sort of brought to Liverpool. You know, I think Zuma coming back, I don't, I'm not sort of, I don't think he's as good as Van Dijk, but in terms of sort of the the impact for Chelsea's back four, I think that 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 he can have a similar impact for Chelsea. Obviously, we know he's quick, we know he's athletic. Um, and I just think last season, sometimes we, we lacked a little bit of that, that physicality at the back when, when we were dealing with, with set pieces and crosses. So, yeah, I, I take the point that, you know, he, he's never going to be confused with, uh, you know, Franz Beckenbauer or, or one of these sort of great, you know, Dutch um, sort of sweepers in terms of his ability on the ball. I think some in some cases he's a little bit underrated just because he looks awkward. I don't think necessarily that he's as bad as as what some people think. And You know, there's, there's compilations from his time at Everton where he's capable of hitting 40, 50, 60 metre passes and capable of playing through the lines and capable of of, of hitting good passes. I just think it's, it's it's one of those things where, you know, someone who looks a bit awkward, maybe it, it kind of carries through to sort of the perception of them in general. But, you know, I, I, I'm not, I suppose also say, I don't think he's necessarily had an exceptional uh, tour of Ireland, but I would assume that sort of as he gets back into the Chelsea fold, I think again, as we saw with him at Everton, the more games he plays, the more sort of in tune with the with the pace and the tempo he gets, um, the, the better he'll be. So, yeah, I, th- I think that he's, uh, for me personally, I, I think he's Chelsea's best centre-back and he would be one of the one of the first names on my team sheet. Purely, purely for his defensive attributes. You know, if we improve greatly in the next couple of seasons and, you know, then you can start looking at the luxury of having a ball player at the back, um, you know, then, then then I think you can look at his position. But I think at the moment, given that we do have some weaknesses sort of in the centre-half space, I think Zuma is... He's young. I think he's talented. I think he's a great defender, first and foremost, and that's that's why I would have him inside.
1: All right, well, this is a wrap on the first episode, and the next one is coming out for you tomorrow, again, with our guests, Joe Tweeds and Sebastian Troipouille. Thank you so much for listening. And until tomorrow, keep the blue flag flying high.